Today is Wednesday, September the 13th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key. Do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? We have been bringing computer industry news, hardware and software reviews, guest interviews, and news of user group meetings for the past 40 years. The Personal Computer Show is a three-time winner of the prestigious National Computer Press Awards. The Personal Computer Show had for many years been a call-in talk show. The pandemic-causing studio lockdown has altered our format. The listener call-in format enables us to know what technology issues were on the mind of the listeners. Our only advocacies are consumerism and the First Amendment. I welcome you, the listeners, to provide feedback as to what you want to hear. Address your suggestions to hank at pcradioshow.org. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, www.prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Well, the time has come. Say goodbye to DSL and landline phones. As AT&T and others shut down their copper lines, the age of landline phones and DSL is coming to a close as more telecom companies move away from legacy copper networks. AT&T plans to shutter around half of its copper networks by 2025, offering customers voice-over internet protocols which is VoIP, V-O-I-P, or phone over the internet. AT&T customers can keep their DSL for now, but the company is starting to push alternatives to get them to switch. Providers like AT&T want to shut down their older copper networks so they can focus on fiber. This move in the long run will help the telecom companies save money by running off of a more efficient network. Consumers, meanwhile, stand to benefit from better access to faster internet service with an increased fiber infrastructure also potentially helping with 5G cellular coverage too. For some consumers, there are a growing number of home internet options like 5G wireless, fiber, cable, and satellite, but gone is a traditional telephone service, especially since U.S. telecom companies are no longer required to provide copper landline services. This doesn't mean it's impossible to have a home phone anymore. You just need to find a company that offers a digital home phone. Options like Uma, the telecom and cable providers, or bundle Voice 2, but that's a web-based service. Fiber isn't everywhere. In those areas, 5G home internet services are increasingly filling the gap. AT&T is rolling out Internet Air, its 5G home internet service, which will provide DSL customers with faster service without having to replace copper lines. Last year, analysts said killing off copper lines could be detrimental to ATT since the carrier has the largest fixed footprint, a significant advantage over its competitors. Internet Air could be the answer. AT&T Internet Air boasts download speeds 
from 40 to 140 megabits per second and upload speeds from 5 to 25 megabits per second. The service will cost $55 a month with a 7-day free trial and no long-term contracts. Customers eligible through the Affordable Connectivity Program will save an extra $30 on their bill. Internet Air also provides an all-fi hub for free so customers don't have to return their existing DSL hardware. The service pairs with a smart home manager app so customers can manage their home Wi-Fi network and use ATT Active Armor to protect against malware threats. AT&T is new to the 5G home internet market with its service launching this summer. Competitor carriers T-Mobile, as well as its prepaid arm Metro and Verizon already offer similar deals and have been offering their services for years. T-Mobile's 5G home internet course starts at $30 a month and offer a 50-day free trial as well as no annual contract or equipment fee. The carrier is also launching two new home internet devices this year. The Arcadian TMOG4AR and the CIRCOM TMOG4SE, which build off the predecessor modem models for more reliable connections and faster speeds. Cord Cutters News tested out the service in June, and their tests regularly yielded over 100 to 200 megabits per second download speeds. Verizon 5G home internet plans start at $35 a month with no annual contracts or equipment charges. Like T-Mobile, Verizon also plans to boost its service with a new gateway that supports Wi-Fi 6E and tri-band for faster internet. If you're a DSL customer, you may want to start looking at your options. You may be surprised to find you have a faster internet option that may be even cheaper. Apple is losing its shine in China. Tim Cook said Apple and China had a symbiotic relationship just six months ago. Now Beijing reported iPhone ban may mean the good feelings are over. Just a few months ago, Tim Cook was one of the few U.S. CEOs brave enough to venture to China while it's reopening. In March, Apple's chief executive attended a high-profile government-organized conference met with China's leaders, and proudly declared that Apple and China had a symbiotic kind of relationship. That relationship is now being tested amid reports that Beijing is stopping some of its state employees from using Apple's smartphone as China takes a hard line against any official use of foreign technologies. The Wall Street Journal reported Beijing is ordering officials in some government departments to stop using iPhones. Bloomberg reported Beijing is also considering extending the ban across the government and to state-owned enterprises. The news hit Apple stock hard, wiping out $200 billion in market value for the tech company. Apple is still the world's most valuable company by far at $2.7 trillion versus second-place Microsoft at $2.4 trillion. If Beijing really does limit the use of the iPhone, it's a potential blow to the close connection between Apple and China. Yet, it was a relationship that was already slightly shaky after supply chain disruptions and is now pressured by the return of a competitor, Huawei Technologies. 
How important is China to Apple? China is key to Apple's supply chain and to its sales. Apple relies on Chinese supplies to make many of its electronics, including the iPhone, iPad, AirPods, and its upcoming Vision Pro headset. About half of Apple's smartphones are made in giant factory complexes in China operated by electronics manufacturer Foxconn. China is also a major consumer market for Apple as its largest market outside the United States. The company generated $15.8 billion in sales in China alone last quarter, just over 19% of its total. And Chinese consumers flocked to the iPhone too. Apple has 65% market share for premium phones over $600, according to the Wall Street Journal, citing data from research firm IDC. Apple is in fourth place overall behind cheaper domestic brands Oppo, Vivo, and Honor, according to the South China Morning Post. Apple also complies with Chinese regulations on censorship and data security, including storing the personal data of its Chinese customers in domestic data centers. But recent events may have pushed Apple to reconsider its reliance on the country. COVID-0 lockdowns, especially when the company warned last November that production of the then-latest model iPhones would be lower than expected heading into the U.S. holiday season. China's economic slowdown could also weigh on smartphone sales, though Apple has managed to withstand the drop in consumer confidence thus far. Apple was the only smartphone vendor among the top five in China to increase its sales last quarter. Apple is investing in manufacturing elsewhere in Asia to diversify its supply chain. The company now makes 7% of its iPhones in India and has reportedly started production of the next iPhone in the South Asian country. Apple is also shifting some production of iPads, MacBooks, and AirPods to Vietnam. And the company also hopes that India will be the next big market for its electronics. Cook called the country a hugely exciting market for us in a call with analysts in February, and Apple opened its first retail outlet in the country earlier this year. China reportedly set out a plan in 2019 to remove all foreign technology from government operations within three years. The decision was motivated partly by U.S. sanctions on Huawei, barring it from buying advanced chips. The Chinese company was forced to stop producing its premium phones revealing U.S. leverage over China's tech sector. Last year, China ordered government agencies to stop using foreign-made PCs and software, diverting them from Western companies like HP and Microsoft towards domestic alternatives like Lenovo and Kingsoft. Chinese concerns about data security and espionage have even extended to Tesla, with officials at times barring the company's electric cars from sensitive areas. Of course, the U.S. has similar espionage concerns when it comes to Chinese-made hardware and software. Washington has pushed U.S. telecom companies to strip Huawei from their 5G networks and has banned TikTok from China-based developer ByteDance from government devices. The U.S. is currently discussing whether to ban TikTok from the U.S. entirely. And another threat for Apple may loom on the horizon. Huawei, at one point the world's largest smartphone manufacturer, quietly launched a Mate 60 Pro last week. 
The phone features performance that keeps pace with Apple's iPhone and a processor that's only a few years behind the cutting edge. The technological achievement comes despite years of U.S. controls on sales advanced chips and chip-making equipment to Huawei and China more broadly in a bid to kneecap the country's semiconductor sector. Huawei announced an even more powerful version of the Mate 60 Pro, which features more memory and connections to China's GPS competitor, Baidu. The Global Times, a state-run English-language outlet, reported, though, Huawei was muted about the phone's release. Chinese state media was not. The resurgence of Huawei smartphones after three years of forced silence is enough to prove that the U.S. extreme suppression has failed. The U.S. Commerce Department on Thursday said it would investigate how Huawei got its hands on the advanced chip made by the also blacklisted Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation, China's largest chipmaker. Tubi, that's T-U-B-I, the free streaming service, hits 74 million monthly active users and almost 250 free live channels as cord cutting grows. One of the fastest growing areas in cord cutting is free ad-supported streaming. Now we get an idea of just how large it is thanks to new numbers from Tubi that shows the service now has 74 million active monthly users, up from 64 million monthly active users it reported back in February of this year. As inflation hits, streamers are cutting back on the number of streaming services they pay for, and this has helped free services like Tubi attract new users looking for cheaper options. Tubi is now watched as much as a top five cable network. The platform continues to scale with 47% growth in ad revenue and 65% growth in total viewing time. Tubi also now has over 200,000 movies and TV episodes on demand, along with 250 free live channels. Tubi also announced that its Tubi Originals that first launched in June of 2021 now have over 200 titles watched by 54 million viewers. Tubi also said its fastest growing market is 18 to 34 year olds with the African Americans, Asians, Hispanics, and multicultural audiences. They saw over 50% growth. Overall, Tubi saw audience growth of over 30%. Tubi and other free ad-supported streaming services are helped by a growing demand for cheaper options as inflation puts pressure on Americans to cut back on streaming costs. Is YouTube TV cracking down on family account sharing and banning those who abuse the system? One of the best features of YouTube TV is the ability to share it with up to five other people. The catch is, these people are supposed to live with you in the same house. For years, though, YouTube TV has been very relaxed in how it enforces these rules. But that may be about to change. Recently, several readers have reported that their accounts have been locked out and even having the main account holder delete them 
and add them back to the shared account has not fixed the issue. A quick look around online also finds some complaints of this on other sites. Here is how YouTube TV describes the rules for YouTube TV family sharing. To join a family group, you must be aged 13 or older and have a Google account, live in the same household as the family manager, not be part of another family group. Location requirements work the same. If you're sharing your YouTube TV membership with a family group, the family manager sets the home area and each family member must primarily live in the same household. Family group members need to be periodically use YouTube TV in your home location to keep access. Otherwise, the family manager will have to change the home location. If the family manager can't change the home location, family group members must get an individual membership. Now you can travel with YouTube TV and use it outside of your home. But YouTube says the device needs to connect to your home network every three months or you may be locked out. Over the years, YouTube TV has been very relaxed in how it enforces these rules. Earlier this year, a handful of YouTube TV subscribers who abused this system reportedly being locked out. Many speculated at that time that YouTube TV was testing this system as it got ready for NFL Sunday ticket. It is unknown how many people are sharing their YouTube TV accounts with people who do not live with them. With the high cost of its NFL Sunday ticket deal, it is very possible that YouTube TV would want to block access to it for people who are not paying for the service and don't live with a main account holder. The death of cable TV is speeding up as cable and satellite viewership drops to just 37.1% of all TV viewing. The death of cable TV is speeding up once again. According to a new report from Inkscape, the total cable TV and satellite viewership on Vizio TVs has dropped to just 37.1%. This is down from 46.9% during the same period in 2021. Streaming now accounts for 53.8% of all TV time. Video games now account for 5.4% of TV time, and over-the-air TV is 3.7% of all TV viewing. In this report, they looked at how the TV was used on Vizio TVs, giving us an accurate look at how Vizio TV owners use their TV. A month-to-month analysis of streaming's share of viewership reveals several trends including that streaming sustained a measurable high rate of viewing time spent in the summer of 2022. After a slight fall and winter low, it increased once again in the second quarter of 2023, with U.S. TV households spending 54% of their monthly viewing time streaming during the quarter. Last year, streaming's upward surge during the second quarter set up the summer months to have the largest share of streaming viewing in 2022. This year, it remains to be seen if summer months will experience another record-breaking high. But with streaming's increasing share in the second quarter, 
It seems likely, Inkscape said in their report. As cable TV viewerships drops, streaming has grown from 44.1% in 2021 to 53.8% in 2023. Gaming saw a small jump from 4.9% to 5.4% of all TV time. According to the report, 5% of all cable and satellite households canceled cable TV or satellite in the second quarter of 2023. The study says 75% of all cable and satellite customers have cut back the amount of time they spend on cable TV. This comes as even cable subscribers are spending more time on streaming. How the cable TV bundle could return in streaming form. The rise of cord cutting and streaming services meant consumers finally breaking away from the once-hated cable bundle. But if Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav is right, that bundle might return in a new but familiar way. Zaslav, who spoke during the Goldman Sachs Communicopia and Technology Conference, didn't directly address the ongoing dispute between Charter Communications and Disney, but it was later resolved just before the Monday night football game. Some of this disruption may activate a quicker transition to things like us in the content business bundling things together, Zavla said. I've been a big advocate of the bundle. A return to the bundle of any sort will be ironic given the years that consumers agitated for a release from large packages of cable channels. The idea of a bundle is is partly the cause of the dispute between Spectrum and Disney. Spectrum accuses Disney of forcing ESPN and Disney into more of its cable packages, even if of its audience doesn't watch sports. It's why Spectrum has called the video ecosystem broken. But the problem with the state of streaming is the extreme fragmentation of services and options, Zavlav said. While this has provided more choice and freedom for consumers, the sheer number of apps, platforms, and services can be overwhelming to consumers. In the long term, it's not a great consumer experience, he said, noting that consumers have adapted to the new experience. His vision of the bundle is the idea of more content living on the same service. This will make searching for specific content and browsing a library more useful to the user. Disney has floated this idea, but largely when it came to integrating its own services, such as Hulu and Disney+. When it comes to companies working together, the notion faces tremendous hurdles. Each company has invested in its own platform, from Comcast, Peacock, and Paramount's Paramount Plus, not to mention old stalwarts like Amazon's Prime Video and Netflix. That doesn't even include free and supported services like Paramount's Pluto TV or Fox Tubi. When asked if companies were holding conversations about this possibility, he said that there were more talks over the last few months than the last few years. He noted that the experiment where Max highlighted some of the AMC's best content on its homepage as a test of whether it would benefit both parties, suggesting that maybe more services 
offer different content over time. Max has struck deals to let its own content appear on other services like Ballers on Netflix, but that was likely more of a financial decision than one born out of serving the consumer. Sasloff also hinted as future price hikes for the service. It's hard to tell if Max, which has just 1.4% of the total streaming viewership, according to Nielsen, has the clout to force these kinds of industry changes. For now, we'll have to keep navigating through the vast array of platforms and channels ourselves. The cord-cutting impact on the Disney Charter deal, in which neither side won, as both lost. The Walt Disney Company and the Charter Communications spent the first 10 days of September locked in a steering contest. On Monday, both blinked as the most famous company in making TV struck an awkward, mutually beneficial deal with one of the biggest companies distributing it. Now 15 million households will be able to watch Monday Night Football in peace. Disney's linear TV channels, including ESPN, went off the air for Charter Spectrum cable customers at the start of the month. The two companies had different problems, each brought on by cord cutting. A decade-long bleed of cable subscribers has hobbled Charter because, well, it is a cable company. But it has been an existential issue for Disney, too. Having tens of millions fewer cable subscribers has meant billions of dollars less in carriage fees. A course that Disney charges cable companies and that those telecoms pass on to us all. What cable fees Disney has still been getting, it has largely thrown into the streaming products, a move that in turn only loses many more millions of dollars for Disney and draws subscribers away from pay TV providers like Spectrum. Everyone was losing as the companies look out at the abyss. But the standoff ended on Monday. Disney's channels were on their way back to Spectrum customers screen a few hours before ESPN aired its first NFL game of the year. And the fees from those customers were set to flow to Disney's bank accounts again. After days of posturing that might have been pretty serious, neither company committed to a future without the other. The fight between Disney and Charter previewed a breaking point in the way Americans consume video. The deal they announced on Monday meant that they'll walk towards the cliff together. The best hope is that they will break each other's fall. The press release about the agreement left out one big piece of information, the per-subscriber fee that Charter will pay Disney for each of its millions of customers. ESPN is the most expensive channel on pay TV. Disney gets short of $10 for it per subscriber per month on industry average. Evaluating the whole deal is impossible without knowing who won the financial tug-of-war over that and by how much. But some context clues suggest that Disney will get some increase in fees for its channels, including ESPN, and in return, Charter will get a bag of goodies that makes it harder for Disney's money-losing streaming products to eat into Charter's business. NASA astronaut Frank Rubio inadvertently
breaks record for longest U.S. space mission. The astronaut was stranded on board the ISS after a Russian Soyuz spacecraft suffered a coolant leak, setting the stage for a prolonged mission. Rubio was the first NASA astronaut to launch the ISS aboard a Russian Soyuz rocket since April 2021. When astronaut Frank Rubio launched to the International Space Station in September 2022, he was scheduled to return back to Earth in six months' time. Rubio's ride to his home planet, however, suffered a malfunction that left him stranded in low Earth orbit. As a result of the mishap, Rubio is set to spend more than a year in space, breaking the record for the longest duration mission by a U.S. astronaut. On Monday, the NASA astronaut will beat the previous record of 355 days set by Mark van der Heij in 2022. Rubio will return to Earth no earlier than September the 27th, logging in 371 days in Earth orbit and becoming the first U.S. astronaut and one of only six people to spend a year in space. Although it wasn't intentional, Rubio is making the most out of his extended time in space. I think this is really significant in the sense that it teaches us that the human body can endure, Rubio said during a recent interview with ABC's Good Morning America, as we prepare to push back to the moon and then from there onward onto hopefully Mars on into the solar system. I think it's really important that we learn just how the human body learns to adapt and how we can optimize that process so that we can improve our performance as we explore further and further out from Earth. Rubio's launch to the ISS on September the 21st, 2022. He was the first to ride on board a Soyuz spacecraft since April 2021. The result of a seat swap agreement between NASA and Roscosmos, which stipulated that a U.S. astronaut would ride aboard the Russian capsule in exchange for a Russian cosmonaut boarding a SpaceX Crew Dragon for the very first time. In December 2022, the Soyuz spacecraft that transported Rubio along Roscosmos cosmonauts Sergei Prokopyev and Dmitry Petyan began leaking coolant into low Earth orbit while attached to the ISS. The exact reason behind the leak was not officially announced, but the spacecraft was deemed unfit to fly the trio back to Earth. Prokopyov and Petalin and Rubio stayed on the station, was extended for another six months, and the three-person crew is set to return on board Soyuz MS-23 later this month. Similarly to Rubio, the previous record holder, Van der Heij, was also not aware of the amount of time he would end up spending on the ISS before launching to Earth orbit. However, Van der Heij's stay on the space station was also extended to accommodate a two-person Russian film crew shooting a movie on the ISS. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers, 
the workplace, technology, and all of the different intertwining aspects of something like that. Angela, not the real name, had a question. I work for a Fortune 1000 corporation, and I have a WF uh, work-from-home employee that I intend to terminate. How can I ask this employee to come in with the laptop and other items so that we can recover the hardware? All right, so before I dive into this, I'm going to note that many companies have their own set of guidelines, and in a Fortune 1000 corporation, I would hope that would be the case. If it's not, I've got the instructions here that I'm going to give. I also have a closing comment that may set Angela and anybody else who's just going through this in their mind may set everybody at ease. So first, in any termination, you have to think of it as a dance. There is this graceful ballet that happens. It's the graceful ballet of departure. You, you're the conductor. You're orchestrating the steps. And the employee is the dancer, gracefully handing back everything that needs to go back, whether we're talking about ID cards or the laptop, or the monitors, whatever it is. And they get to leave the stage with their head held high. It's all about finding harmony. It's all about concluding everything here on a positive note. So now with, with any kind of a termination, whether it's a layoff or for other reasons, it should be soft. It should be approached with professionalism. And this is, this is everything that would normally happen. If you've never terminated anybody before there's or never been terminated, there, there is a lot that goes behind it. And the best way to do it is just soft and easy. Don't, you know, don't say, don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, you, you want to reach out personally. You want to perhaps bring them into the office for the day. Hey, you're going to work in the office, uh, uh, it, it, you know, this this coming Thursday. Can you uh, come on in? Uh, oh, yeah. How, however it is. Or it, maybe bring them onto a video call. Whatever it takes. The issue is being a face of compassion. Being in person, you want to offer a voice of comfort through the hard parts that come next. And uh, comfort, but not too close of comfort. There has to be a professional distance as well. But uh, look, all the way along, this can be uncomfortable. And there are questions that will come up. The seven stages of grief include denial and argument. So, look, the best approach is following whatever your business says, you know, however their guidelines are, but it's basically business decisions. The company is choosing to move in a different direction. Now, you want to allow time for explaining the benefits that come up, uh, you know, that, that are going to come along. In a Fortune 1000 company, this may include uh, various items uh, like a severance that comes under the Warren Act. This may include a variety of benefits or packages for the employee, pre, former employee, uh, survivability over the coming months. Then you go into the selfish side in, in this, uh, you know, in the sales world. They call this an assumptive close. I'm sure you're wondering how to get to the company equipment back to us. You're, you're not giving them kind of that option. You're, 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 up, you're approaching this from, hey, I'm, I'm going to answer this question for you. And then you express it. 
look, if you, you know, you're here in the office, uh, you've got the laptop, go ahead and you'll leave it. Uh, do you have anything else like uh, monitors, whatever? Look, we'll make sure you have a receipt for all of this, all of the paperwork that shows you fulfilled your obligations. So you're, you're setting this up nice and softly here if it's via remote. You know, do you still have the boxes? I can just send out uh, a FedEx slip. And then you just you just put everything back in the boxes, just slap the slip on and just send it back to us. Oh, you know what? If you need boxes, I can have IT send out the proper packing materials. And you just approach it as making it easy for them to return whatever it is they're supposed to return. Now, let's get into the closing item. And I, I said that this should set you at ease. This is something that I've noticed in a few companies that I've worked for in the larger realm. Let's start off actually with a smaller realm. Smaller companies worry about the small stuff. When I worked at a small company, we went after the laptop. We went after the monitors. We went after the mouse, the chargers, the cords, the mouse pad. We went after the paper clips. We went after everything. Big companies. The big companies worry about the big stuff. And it was a, yeah, just put it over there. No, just leave it there at that desk, whatever it is. It was almost an afterthought. And I personally, multiple times, had to push the idea of a receipt in one direction or the other. So from that perspective, we've got a business reasoning here. The business reasoning is that a business laptop runs $1,000 with all the bells and whistles. Over the course of the following years, that asset depreciates into nothingness. Non-return can be written off as a loss if the company gets that far into the weeds of things, but they usually don't. There's other conversations about the insignificant cost of, of the laptop versus salary or exit packages and the rest. So again, large companies can be less concerned. Some companies will actually offer the laptop to the departing employee for, uh, for free or for a fee, an option. I would never take or never even offer due to implied liability or questions later to employees who face the difficult time. I've always said it's better to keep all of the boxes, return all of the hardware in the best condition possible and move on to the next job. The fortunate thing for you, Angela, and anybody else worrying about this, it's actually not ultimately your fault if the laptop never comes back. You do your best. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. Gmail's Android app to introduce the Select All button. When you use the Gmail's web version, there is a Select All button. But that button that lets you select every single email with just one click when you want to archive, mark emails as read, or do any other bulk actions... But there's a puzzling thing. The Gmail Android app never had this functionality. Now there's some good news to be had. It was reported on at Assemble Debug on X, which was formerly known as Twitter, has spotted the select or button in a potentially upcoming release of the Gmail for Android app. And it seems like it could finally become the select we've needed. When you tap this new select or button, it'll immediately highlight the first 50 emails in your inbox because it grabs only 50 emails at a time from Google servers. You'll still be limited in your mass deletion powers, but it's better than tapping one at a time. After the first 50, you can just tap again and again to select even more. 
For those who like to hoard their emails once they've cashed in the app, the select all button will highlight all of them, regardless of whether it's more than 50. If you accidentally selected all, there's a deselect all button to save you from losing everything. It's about time. It's a little hard to believe we've been missing out on this for so long. But as usual, I'm not surprised. After all, Google is Google. Windows Desktop Apps You don't buy into an operating system and then ask, what applications are available? You ask, what applications do I need? And then find an operating system that will support the application. Windows Desktop Apps are the future with or without Windows. From cloud PCs and smart TVs to Chromebooks, Macs and Linux systems, everyone is betting on traditional Windows Desktop applications. Good news for PC users. Windows desktop software isn't going to go anywhere. In fact, every operating system wants to run it. A decade ago, the tech media was full of pronunciations that PCs are dying at the hands of the iPad. But in 2023, the hot new commodity is Windows desktop software. More and more operating systems are now running Windows desktop apps at once seems everyone, including Microsoft itself, wanted to leave behind. At a glance, it's easy to say this is just about Windows business applications, or it's just about PC gaming, or it's just about people wanting to offer access to decades worth of software on their devices. It's definitely about all of those things and more. Windows apps are increasingly running in the cloud. Increasingly, Windows desktop applications run in the cloud so you can access them from any device. If your iPad or Chromebook or smart TV can't run Windows software, just run Windows software remotely on a server and access it there. These classic desktop applications are often called Win32 software, though they can be 64-bit applications as well. Microsoft is betting big on this with Windows 365, currently available only for businesses. Windows 365 is a Windows desktop as a service hosted by Microsoft. Businesses can set up their employees with remotely accessed Windows desktops. These employees can access them through nearly any device, a Chromebook, Mac, iPad, Android tablet, smart TV, smartphone, or whatever, even from a PC. Microsoft is building better support for accessing Windows 365 desktops into Windows 11, letting you flip between your cloud PC and local PC from the task view button on your taskbar or even boot straight to a Windows 365 Cloud PC desktop on a physical Windows 11 PC. While this is only for businesses at the moment, internal documents show Microsoft is working on Windows 365 Cloud PC plans for home users. It's not just about Microsoft either. Even Google now has a new solution for running Windows apps natively in Chrome OS called Chrome OS Virtual App Delivery. It turns those Windows desktop apps running remotely into apps that integrate with Chrome OS. It's like Windows 365. But Google is offering just individual apps and not a full Windows desktop. Even consumer services are finding more success running Windows softly remotely. Just take a quick glance at the cloud gaming space. Google's shuttered Stadia cloud gaming service relied on game developers porting their games to run on Stadia Linux-based system. Meanwhile, NVIDIA, GeForce Now Cloud Gaming Service 
is running on Windows, using Windows games, betting on Windows software rather than requiring developers to port their games to Linux looks like it was a winning bet for NVIDIA. Windows desktop apps are now ready for ARM PC. Let's step back from the cloud and look at the Windows itself running on PCs. A decade ago, Microsoft seemed to agree with all the chatter that desktop software was toast, launching a Windows 8 for traditional PCs that banished desktop software to a legacy interface and a Windows RT for ARM's PC that didn't run classic Windows desktop apps at all. Obviously, Windows has changed a lot since then. Microsoft started undoing its work with Windows 8.1 just a year later, and Windows RT was axed pretty quickly. But Windows still run on ARM. Windows ARM PC still aren't very common because the hardware just isn't there yet. There's nothing quite as good in the ARM PC space as Apple's M1 or M2 chips, although competitive ARM chips always seem to be coming next year, according to the industry promises. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston joins me now. And Marty, what do you have for us this week? Oh, let's start with Anchor. You know, I've been building security with them. Yeah, I got yeah. in their Eufy S100 LED lights with camera. We've seen a lot of cameras with integrated LED lights. Yeah, yeah. But they turn things around with their S100 wired wall light camera. It's wired for power, wireless using low band Wi-Fi for communications. Mm -hmm. Now, this thing is long. It's got an upper and a lower swiveling section. They shine the LED light where you want it. 1200 lumens, as much light as a 100 watt bulb. Sure. And you can set the intensity and color temperature and colors and patterns and that kind of stuff. It's got a motion detector, which is my trigger for getting it, and a wide angle 2K camera and a few other things. Now, I'm not expecting burglars in the garage. But I wanted motion detection, so going from the house to the garage at night won't leave anybody in the dark, mm -hmm. right? Now, okay, yeah, yeah. Does your spouse ever ask if you remember to close the garage door? That ever happen to you? All the time. Yeah, yeah. I, it, 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 one or the other of us every night is asking the other one, yeah. And I can stay in bed and pull it and pull this camera up live on my phone, and a Eufy app upgrade makes the S100 compatible with their S3 home base. Take advantage of a terabyte of storage there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. New features okay. are in late-stage development. Looking forward to those. Uh, and I, I just love this thing. The Eufy S100 wired wall light camera is about 120 bucks on Amazon. Okay. I, I like the sound of that. It's a, a you know, it, <laughs> We deal with that garage, and we've got a larger. We got a three car garage, so you know it's yeah, yeah it's it's and, actually and, and, two garage doors we got to deal with. And at any moment, none of the three are stolen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now at the moment, let, let's go to things that suck. Okay. I got the Dream with an E at the end, D R E A M E. If you remember, they made my favorite robotic vacuum. This yes, is their yes, R twenty, okay. the R twenty cordless stick vacuum. Now, when okay, we, so so not a robot vacuum like before. Right. This is this is just a stick vac. Okay, uh, unless you got Rosie to push it around. Uh, <laughs> <The> <laughs> this is Jetsons. not for wet floors or wet on floors. There's no mop, just a vacuum, but it's super flexible and impressively smart. 
like particulate sensing to determine the dirt load and a brushless DC motor control that adapts to that without abusing the battery. Okay, Lots of its right, parts yeah. are washable. The pre-filter, the filter, the cyclone assembly, mini brush roller, soft brush roller, and multi-brush roller. Get the sense. A lot of accessories here. It yeah, also yeah, comes, yeah. Yeah, with two combination snorkel and sliding brush tools. One's wide, the other's flexible and long. And it's reach the floor carbon fiber rod works with a flexible elbow so you can slide under things at an angle it's it, it's it's like trend line buddy you know <laughs> <laughs> emptying the dust cup takes one push of a button your hands stay clean smart multi-surface brush you're going to love this it has blue led headlights that make dust more visible and a mm, way to pick okay. up bigger things like coffee beans or cereal flakes all the brushes, dodge hair tangles, you throw in a lightweight four-pound weight and up to 90 minutes of runtime per charge. And it oh, puts the, nice. okay. yeah, the Dream R20 stick vacuum into the category sweetest of sweet spots, about 500 bucks on Amazon. If I'm vacuuming for more than 90 minutes, my wife is going to have me committed. She's going to be like, what are you doing? I have no idea who you are. Well, that's, that's life. Now, there's a brand I haven't mentioned lately. Yes. Uh, Klein Tools. Anybody remember? <laughs> Klein Tools. Name rings up. Yes. Yes. You keep sending me surprise <laughs> boxes folks, with yes. their latest and greatest. And you've seen it. So here's what we got since last time. A new type two class E safety helmet with removable rechargeable headlamp and mm -hmm, work light mm -hmm, and swivel okay. front magnet back and your choice of spotlight or floodlight modes and a new two-in-one insulated screwdriver with a reversible detent held shank that's number zero Phillips head on one side and an eighth inch slotted on the other small head okay. yeah, but yeah. all all rated for up to a thousand volts and Speaking of small screwdrivers, an eight-piece set of precision screwdrivers, number zero and double zero Phillips, third-inch and three-thirty-second-inch slotted, T6, T8, T10, and tamper-proof torque sets. All these drives with rotating caps, so you don't make your palm get all gungy when you're trying to yeah, rotate yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then I got a box with three offset snips in it, good for cutting stuff as tough as 18-gauge cold-rolled steel or 22-gauge stainless steel. Mm -hmm, one designed mm -hmm. left and straight, one for right and straight, and one for wide curves and straight. The snippiest cutters I've had since Dad's old tin snips. And a backpack that works like a cooler with great insulation plus a tool holder on the outside flap and a set of offset lock nut wrenches, half inch, three quarter inch and one inch. Really cool for those skinny lock nuts that secure conduits to electrical boxes. All from Klein Tools all over the place. That's that's really great. That's a you know, you, you, Klein Tools has really treated us rather well over the years. They They are so good. So good with it, and uh, I don't even have to ask for these things. And if I did, I would feel mercenary and really greedy. <laughs> oh man! So, uh, so again, I mean, you've covered a lot of it, it, this week. It's it's a lot of your favorite names too: Anchor yeah. and and Dream and Klein. So, well, it's a special week. Yes, it's it's rather dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to anchor you down for, for <laughs> uh, too, too many puns here. As for now, this is Benjamin Rockwell. That's Marty Wentz. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. And thank you, Marty.
public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. The New York Amateur Computer Club meets Thursday, September the 14th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. And the presentation for the evening is Small Scale Retro Computers. Online virtual meeting via Zoom and the website is nyacc.org. The Brookdale Computer Users Group meets Thursday, September the 28th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom and the website is bcug.com. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, October the 6th. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Their website is acgnj.org. Tech Ed Connect meets Thursday, October the 5th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. And their website is wpcug.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, October the 13th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. It's an online virtual meeting via Zoom, and their website is limac.org. The King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, October the 10th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., and they meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. If you're interested, the phone number to call is 347-278-7320. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN, live streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy till we meet again, same time, same station, next week. Uh